This is Crossroads, the Get Religion podcast. It started as an alleged racial slur thrown around at a BYU-Duke volleyball game. That became a national story, very credulous media coverage of those allegations. It turned into a religious slur at another BYU sporting event, not a national story, although oddly enough, the other sports team's apology did make the national news. What is the media going to cover and what is it not going to cover when it comes to these allegations of racial and religious slurs? Greetings and welcome to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion, and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. Briefly give us the who, what, where, when, and why, and how of these stories, and then if you would answer this question for me, were these religion stories as much as they were sports stories? Well, let me answer that question first. I think it's important to realize that the tensions surrounding Brigham Young University and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in general are clearly religious. For many, many years, the people formerly known as Mormons took a lot of heat and flack, in my opinion, at some points in their history for valid reasons, from people on kind of the theological right, as well as from cultural people on the left. I mean, I think, you know, this gets us into discussions of what the word cult means when it's used as a doctrinal term, as opposed to when it's used as a sociological term. So you can't talk about BYU at all without talking about religion because many of the tensions surrounding the school are rooted in religion and in in kind of a cultural prejudice against conservative forms of religion, of which the Latter-day Saints certainly would still fit that dis- description. And it's also important to realize that people shouting abuse at BYU sports teams is not new. We'll get to the timeline again here in a second with what happened at Oregon just the other day. But in some of the coverage in Utah media and elsewhere, it mentioned that BYU officials said this is certainly not the first time this has ever happened to us. In fact, there were allegations about abuse being shouted at the BYU players during a game with the University of Southern California, I believe, either last year or in a recent year. So... This is an ongoing situation. So what happened was on August 26th, there was a girls' volleyball game. And afterwards, an African-American player from Duke University's volleyball team said that during the game, when she served, people shouted that the whole student section shouted racial slurs at her. That was the original wording. And then it became very specific that there was one man who was accused of shouting a racial slur at her when she served. And also she reported that she felt threatened by a white male. 
Now, you get into some interesting issues there in terms of whether other members of her own team backed her by saying her statements were accurate or simply supported her in her complaints about this. So we go into kind of the first wave of the coverage in which it was first attributed to this volleyball player, but also to a, was a person who's her godmother, who seems to be kind of an activist on these issues. And it was covered pretty much everywhere as if this was fact. I mean, this, this went all over the place. This went New York Times, The Hill, NPR, CNN, ESP. I mean, you name it, all the national media took this story on its face value. And that's kind of the end of Act One of this drama. Act Two begins a few days later when Brigham Young, who at first initially apologized profusely for the behavior of its student section of and, and banned one man from attending sports events at BYU again, etc. But then this is where technology kind of clicks into play. Now, it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone now who follows the news that we live in the age of smartphones. And thus you had hundreds of people shooting smartphone video of the game. And you also had a security video. And you had what has been described several places as pretty high-quality audio of the event. I don't know if this was on, say, a digital radio signal. But a conservative student newspaper on campus got a call from someone, anonymous person within the sports department at BYU that said, people may want to take a look at this because we're not seeing any of the behavior that our school has already apologized for. And so Brigham Young began its own investigation of the event. And for example, they had in security video shots, this man who they had banned pretty much shown almost all the time, because you know, you've got wide angle security videos and you can blow these things up and people began looking at them and they couldn't find this man yelling the N word or doing what seemed to be anything threatening at all. It was also assumed that if the student body had been chanting slurs, this should have shown up on video recordings of the game on somebody's smartphones. I mean, we, we live in a world where somebody there live would certainly be offended by what was happening. And so we ended up with a body of digital evidence being covered by media in Utah and in one of the student papers at BYU. And this is what didn't seem to ever bleed over into mainstream coverage of the event. Eventually, Brigham Young said, we find no evidence that this happened, that this man, we've lifted his ban from our events because we simply cannot in technical 
materials, in digital materials, in sound recordings, in video recordings, at this event, we can't find any corroboration of the accusations. Now, they never said, this player is lying. They never said, you know, that Duke University should apologize for raising these issues. But this began to really, this is, it was a huge wave of news about Brigham Young University and created quite a bit of stink. Eventually, you began to have conservative media picking up the BYU denial. And so you have a memorable headline at the New York Post, a conservative publication. BYU student newspaper scoops left-wing media in Duke volleyball racial slur saga. It's kind of a not quite punchy enough to be a classic New York Post headline, but you kind of get the idea. And at this point, the lack of investigation of the story became a story, but only in the conservative press. Now, I, I want to praise at this point the fact that I've been looking for some other mainstream media follow-up here, but there was at least one national public radio story that went back, announced the details of BYU's investigation, why they concluded, what they concluded, interviews with 50 people who attended the event. It gives kind of a general description of the broadcast recordings and the other things that were investigated, and NPR reported that. And then it goes back to cover the earlier allegations and the debates about them. I would consider the, the NPR story to be kind of a bare minimum of a report, but it's a good report. But here's what it isn't. I still don't know, unless I have missed it, I haven't found any mainstream media outside of Utah that went back and said, well, can we hear the audio? Can we see some of these videos? Or even called, read up on Facebook with people talking about the event and called them up with interviews and saying, well, do you have smartphone video that backs up what you're saying, you know, et cetera. We didn't see the kind of digital media investigation of the event that I think it's safe to say is now the norm when covering controversial issues in American life. Does that make sense? I mean, I, I, that's, I've walked you through this entire first incident, and that's kind of where we stand. And I'm not aware of any other national media even tempering their stories, retracting their stories. They accepted the accusations as fact, and some of them did and some of them didn't go back and report the evidence that BYU claimed it found. I should also stress that Salt Lake City is not a normal newspaper town in that you have two newspapers. One of them, the Deseret News, is directly linked to the church. So I'm sure national media would not take the views of the Deseret News all that seriously and unless they started printing verbatim material and stuff. But the Salt Lake City Tribune is a very independent newspaper and is known for its frequent showdowns with church authorities, discussions of flaws in church policies, 
it certainly would cover the church's controversial and complicated history with race in previous decades, if not in the previous century. So when you have the Utah media, you can't just say, well, that's all church publications, because it's not. And here we had an independent but conservative student newspaper, and we had the various Utah media trying to get their hands on the actual digital evidence and reporting that I'm not seeing anybody print information drawn from actual audio and video sources that back the original accusations. Now that's the end of the first half of this story. Not that long later, BYU's football team goes up to play at Oregon. And BYU is, of course, a major player in football and basketball in America, and will soon, after years of controversy, which we can discuss later, is soon going to become a member of the Big 12 football conference. And they went up to play Oregon, and the student body is on numerous videos there. I want to be discreet here. Let's just say that they adapted popular chants aimed at Joe Biden, and they aimed it at Mormons, as in F-word the Mormons, chanted over and over by the student body. And videos of these attacks, verbal attacks, I should stress, on the BYU football team immediately hit Twitter and immediately hit other forms of social media. What's fascinating is what didn't happen then, and that is we didn't see any national coverage of this incident, even though it came so soon after the other one. And eventually, the evidence became so obvious that we had apologies to BYU from the governor of Oregon and from other officials for the behavior on video of their students. And then the Utah governor slammed the Oregon, and then we had apologies coming from Oregon. Let me see if it was actually the governor of Oregon. No, it was not the governor of Oregon. It was the actual University of Oregon who apologized for the disgraceful chant at the football game. And you had CNN cover the apology from Oregon. But once again, what we didn't have was actual news coverage of the incident, kind of like in real time, like that evening on ESPN, you didn't have people speaking out on both sides of this scandalous event saying, how could Oregon have put up with such religious bigotry against a religious minority in American life, et cetera, et cetera. Eventually, you got reactions when it kind of turned political. So once again, the political story was worthy of coverage. The religion story didn't seem to be that worthy of coverage. And the sports level of this didn't get coverage in the second incident that it got in the first incident until, like I said, we had the public apologies. Now, that was long and very complicated. But my point here is this is a perfect example of some of the divisions that now seem to be in the American media dividing people one from another in terms of what they hear, what they hear about, what views they hear 
expressed, what views they hear questioned, and then here's the most important thing for me from a journalistic point of view. Do they actually see media investigation of controversies of this kind, which used to be kind of normal? And as we entered the smartphone era, it's very rare that you have controversial events in American life and the press doesn't have material drawn from social media within a matter of a few hours, and certainly once it hits Twitter. So, Terry, you mentioned several times there that in the first incident where there was an alleged racial slur being kind of routinely delivered during one of the African-American players yeah, uh, yeah. serving, almost immediate and widespread coverage, and it was rather credulous coverage, coverage I should say, so much so that even, like you said, Brigham Young issued an apology, yeah. even before an investigation or anything like that. Why not immediate coverage? It's a related story, obviously. Why not immediate coverage of the, I will call it a religious slur, being chanted by large portions of the student body at this football game in Oregon? Well, I think it's important to understand the context of the original story. And it fits in with a lot of other controversies in higher education in American life right now. But if you go online and you do any kinds of searching about Brigham Young, you will find out that Brigham Young is a very controversial school with the American left. In fact, it is routinely listed as a dangerous school, a school that places its own students at risk and in danger. Now, the issue there while you do have complicated discussions about race in a very <laughs> Caucasian state like Utah or a largely white state like Utah, and I'm not saying that those are there are no problems there. Like I said earlier, there's a long, complicated history between the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and race back to when people of color could not be ordained to its priesthood or raised into positions of leadership. That was changed by a revelation from its profit decades ago, and now you have heavy, large groups of Latter-day Saints in different parts of the world, especially the Pacific Islands and people of color in Samoa and in other parts. And you see this in their sporting teams, especially uh, in the NFL even. You've had lots of people from BYU end up in the National Football League. So my point here is it's LGBTQ issues that specifically gets BYU listed as controversial. It was at the heart of the opposition to BYU's entrance into the Big 12. I believe it was about a decade ago when it was first proposed that they join the conference and gay rights groups on secular campuses rose up in opposition and BYU was denied membership to the Big 12. So you have a lot of controversy about BYU and that, simply stated, is because of its doctrines. And BYU has a doctrinal covenant establishing that it is a faith-based school, a doctrinally defined voluntary association, and if you come to BYU as a student or faculty member or staff, whatever, you agree either that you're going to live by its tenets, the tenets of the church, or you're at least not going to attack them. You're not going to oppose them. This has led to tremendous venom 
within the gay community, and frankly, it's led to divisions inside BYU, something that we've seen at other evangelical schools, Catholic schools, etc. These are controversial issues. But before we move to the Oregon thing, another school in the Big 12 is Baylor University, my alma mater, one of my two alma maters. My other one is the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign. Let me put it this way. BYU recently played Baylor. Last year, BYU lost to Baylor in Waco, and this year, Baylor lost to BYU in Utah. Do you think it would have received national coverage if the Baylor student body had chanted, not just maybe not F-words, but had chanted anti-Mormon slogans loud enough that they could be heard on the field and picked up just by anybody with a smartphone in the stadium. Do you think that would have been covered as news? Oh, I think it most definitely would have been covered, uh, maybe not well, but it would have been covered, sure. Yeah, and there would have been the Baptist versus the Mormons. That would have been the big hook to make that a controversial story. And by the way, I think if that if that happened, which it has not happened to my knowledge, I, at least I sure haven't read about it, and I think we would see coverage. I would say that at the heart of the media divide over coverage of Brigham Young University sporting events, and these two controversies in particular, at the heart of the divide is this old question that we've discussed so often, which is that BYU's defense of basic Latter-day Saint orthodoxy in its student covenant lifestyle code, that that makes BYU an example of bad religion as opposed to enlightened good religion. And thus we have a very familiar storyline that we now see over and over and over from coast to coast. There's a national story unfolding right now in New York City with Yeshiva University, and we're eventually going to get, I believe, a Supreme Court decision about whether Yeshiva University has a right to not recognize an LGBTQ group officially on its campus because of its identity as a modern Orthodox campus. Now, it doesn't help at all that Yeshiva a few years ago took some of its religious doctrines and claims out of its official school documents. And Julia Dean, in a piece at Get Religion, pointed this out and said, this is going to get them in trouble. So what we have here is a school that is in trouble because it's being honest about its doctrinal beliefs, and they're in trouble because they continue not to back down on the sexuality issues and other things related to the unique beliefs of its campus, and that means BYU is apparently fair game. It's a dangerous school that is out of the mainstream, and that would tend to make many journalists believe, well, to paraphrase Ronald Reagan of all people, there they go again. There goes that dangerous school. There's a tendency to automatically assume that the student body did this. It was one of those stories maybe that was too good to be investigated. 
You didn't need to investigate it. It fit the template. The second story didn't need to be reported because, of course, it was okay for secular students at a liberal, mainstream, progressive university in a deep, deep blue part of the state, and it's not much, you can't get much deeper blue than Oregon. Of course, it was fine for them to chant anti-religious slogans at the bad school's football team. Thus, what's there to cover? Well, there's nothing to cover until it gets political and you have political leaders begin to get involved in it. Then you have Oregon's apology. And I think I saw maybe a 10, 15 second report on ESPN about Oregon's apology. But I don't think there was, they certainly didn't dare, even with bleeps, show the video. I'd be very interested in knowing if any mainstream publication or news website or broadcast station actually broadcast the common, you could find them anywhere, videos of the scandalous chants in the stands at the Oregon game. You would have had to have done some bleeping, but that didn't seem to prevent people from covering the Let's Go Brandon and the F. Joe Biden controversies. People found creative ways of handling it in that case. With about 30 seconds here, quickly, what other angles would make these stories important? Well, like I said, there are legal issues here. To some degree, the question is, does a school like Brigham Young have the right to define its community according to doctrines on sexuality and other issues? And these stories are going from coast to coast. And I would say in this case, the controversies swirling around BYU's moral beliefs influenced the coverage of these two stories. And that gets us back to equal access laws and the Hosanna Tabor ministerial exemption case at the U.S. Supreme Court. And eventually we're going to have to have someday a U.S. Supreme Court decision. We're going to have a case about whether or not sexual orientation and gender claims are equal to racial disputes in terms of discrimination laws, because that's really what's hovering in the background of the controversies about BYU. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion, and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, thank you very much. Glad to be here. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. Crossroads is a production of Get Religion, part of the First Amendment projects at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. If you appreciate this podcast, please make a secure online tax-deductible donation at getreligion.org.